Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome back. We hope the weekend was good to you. I'm going to talk a little bit about how not everybody's loving the new Bucky's Travel Center. And then we'll turn things over to Jonathan Sobolewski and the guy who's arguably the most corrupt politician in state history. And that's saying something. I'm Mike Morgan and we're down in Alabama. Okay, here's a theoretical scenario. A business opens up in a competitive market and the business has pretty deep pockets up front so it prices its goods at a loss for a period of time, say a year. Over that year, it weathers the storm while sucking in all the customers and watching its competitors go belly up one at a time until this business we're talking about is the only supplier left. Now it has a monopoly and can jack up its prices well above competitive price. Now in economics, that's called predatory pricing, and you can end up in court for engaging in such a thing, but as with price gouging and antitrust violations, it can be difficult to say for sure that's what's going on. But it's what some gas stations along Interstate 10 in Lower Alabama are accusing the new Bucky's travel station of doing. AL.com's John Sharp's been following the story and did the reporting on it. The Oasis travel station has filed a federal lawsuit against Bucky's. And it's not just that one station. Paul Moore operates eight convenience stores in Baldwin County. He said Bucky's came into the area 12 to 15 cents under cost, and that pretty much has people in the market ticked off. The law being cited in the suit is the Alabama Motor Fuel Marketing Act. It goes back 35 years. Folks, George Wallace was governor when that law was enacted, and it has stood up to court scrutiny over time. I'm going to quote the Oasis lawyer H. Dean Moody. He said of Bucky's price, and quote, If that were allowed, the independent folks I represent and the Alabama-based folks, they could not compete and it would run them out of business. In theory, the person giving the gas away could set prices where they want it, and ultimately the consuming public would suffer. End quote. But here's the thing. I know you've seen big gas stations move in and smaller or older gas stations have gone out of business, but have you seen that gas station then operate at monopoly prices over time way above what market price would be? Now, if they were able to do that, that's what would ultimately hurt consumers. John spoke with several economists, and here's what East Carolina's Carson Bays had to say. Quote, The contention is nonsense. The gas retail industry in the U.S. includes over 100,000 outlets, and entry into the industry is relatively easy. Attempting to raise the price to monopoly level would attract new entrants quickly and make the strategy ineffective." End quote. So who do you think was the most corrupt politician in Alabama history? Reckons Jonathan Sobolewski has a great candidate for you. In our state, corruption spans the divide between ages, races, and political parties, making Alabama a true melting pot of white-collar criminals. People don't know these politicians are corrupt when they vote for them. Vote for me and I'll use my position to drum up money for my failing businesses wasn't really in Mike Hubbard's campaign literature. But however bad Alabama politics is today, we can take some solace in knowing that it used to be a lot worse. Guys like Hubbard can't hold a candle to the true king of Alabama corruption, Isaac Vincent, who campaigned under the nickname Honest Ike. So there's your first red flag. 
1883, about a year into his first term, Governor of Alabama Edward O'Neill reached out to his state treasurer, Honest Ike Vincent, to let him know he was going to send some guys around to just do a quick spot check on the state's books. Ike's response was, presumably, super cool, sounds great, awesome even, so you just go ahead and send your guys to look at the books, and I'm just going to pop up quickly to New York and make sure everything's good with our bank. I'm just, don't worry about it, it's treasure stuff. But when the governor's guys arrived to see how much money the state had to play with, they found that the state's bank account was at negative $8,000. Sending auditors to visit the state treasurer's office only to find not only no treasurer, but no treasure sounded the alarm. Word was put out across the country that Isaac Honest Ike Vincent was a fugitive from justice. A bounty was issued, and the state even hired the Pinkerton Detective Agency. The Pinkertons chased down leads from Canada to Mexico, but never found old Honest Ike. In fact, he wouldn't be heard from again for another four years. So what happened to Honest Ike, and more importantly, what happened to the money? Well, back in 1879, the state assembly got rid of a policy to conduct an annual audit of the state treasurer's office. Presumably it was done to save money on unnecessary audits, but spoiler alert, it did not end up saving money. With no oversight, Honest Ike took the state's money out of its regular bank in New York and shifted it into different banks around Alabama. He did this under the guise of cutting administrative costs. And I guess what made it even more efficient was that some of those bank accounts with the state's funds in them were in the name of Isaac Vincent. Now here's a fun fact about old Honest Ike. He had a side hustle where he would speculate on cotton futures, basically gambling on the stock market. Here's another fun fact. He was really bad at it. And one of his bank accounts he was using to speculate on the market was also an account that contained some of the state's funds. In all, he lost more than $250,000 of the state's money to the stock market, which at the time was about a quarter of the state's entire budget for the year. In today's terms, that would be the equivalent of the current treasurer secretly gambling away $7.5 billion of the state's money. When Honest Ike heard the governor's guys were coming to take a look at the books, he knew even if he could explain his creative accounting of moving state money to different accounts without telling anyone, he couldn't explain a quarter of a million dollar shortage. So he hightailed it up to New York, hoping he could get some money from a broker he knew to cover the shortfall before the auditors caught the missing funds. But he only made it as far as Cincinnati before learning that the Alabama governor had already learned of his misdeeds and labeled him a wanted criminal. Realizing he was done for, Honest Ike abandoned his trip to New York and instead headed down to Mexico, a country the U.S. had no extradition treaty with. He managed to hide out for a good four years, but was busted when he returned to Texas for some unknown reason and ended up getting recognized because he was still a famous criminal. But catching Honest Ike didn't mean getting the state's money back because there was no money to get back. Remember, he didn't steal the money, he lost it in the stock market. Fortunately, the state has treasurers and their associates sign a bond when they take office, pledging to cover the loss if the treasurer does something stupid and illegal like stealing the state's money and then losing it in the stock market. Unfortunately, it turned out that old Honest Ike had never bothered to file a new bond when he started his latest term. So the state went to look for a bond from his last term, only to discover it had mysteriously been removed from the safe it was being held in. So without any documentation, the state began to pursue the guys who co-signed the bond with Honest Ike based on the memory of the folks who were pretty sure they remembered who signed the missing bond. Bad news again, though, because most of those guys were too broke to give the state any money. In the end, of the $250,000 that was stolen, the state managed to reclaim around $70,000, mostly from stealing and selling Honest Ike's property, and a few thousand from one of Honest Ike's wealthier associates. In the end, Honest Ike Vincent served about six years in jail before he was pardoned due to his deteriorating health. I'm Honest Jonathan Sobolewski for Reckon. Thanks, Sobo. Not all of us can be so honest. Thank y'all for listening. We're back tomorrow. Until then, come see us anytime on the internet at al.com.